0: You're listening to that's high praise and nicholas Cage podcast.
1: I'm your co host VH Zest
0: and I'm your co host Captain Nostalgia. Happy
1: Halloween! That's right. Today, recording day is uh Thursday, uh, the 12th of October. Um, so tomorrow's kind of a rare treat, Friday the 13th in October. So that's pretty cool, and as such. Um, to keep it seasonally appropriate, uh, we're gonna do one of the very few Nicolas Cage horror movies.
0: Yeah, I feel like by this time in this the you know the, in the podcast we've done all of the good ones though. Uh, no,
1: we haven't uh, done all the good ones.
0: Aside from a few that like we haven't done, this is this is 2015's Pay the Ghost. This is a direct-to-video film and direct-to-DVD uh, film. Yeah, yeah, I. I have I have thoughts about this movie.
1: Same, same. That's where I'm gonna get into it. Um, yeah. So
0: Josh, initial thoughts? Uh this movie is before we jump into thoughts, do you want to give like a brief synopsis about what this yeah, movie is? Let's do that. Okay. So <laughs>
1: basically basically so Pay the Ghost. Um Nicholas Cage plays a man whose name I forget. Um, His name is Mike. His name is Mike. That's right. Um, He plays a guy named Mike. He is a college-like teacher. I assume uh, he's a professor of literature. Um, And so anyway, um, he's intermittently throughout the the movie. You see glimpses of that. But um, this movie is basically about him and his wife. um, And early on in the movie, um, they have this son – uh, and he's very excited about Halloween. It's 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 actually set. This movie is actually set in late October. Um, and his son's very excited about Halloween. And he's very just like close with his dad. He wants to make sure he carves his pumpkin with his dad. Things like that. Anyway, um, his dad's home late from work. Doesn't get to carve the pumpkin or go trick-or-treating. But to make it up to his son, uh, he takes him to a like a local carnival. This is in New York. Um, buys him ice cream. Walks around. Takes, he has like a... Video camera and they're like recording things and um and he's holding his son's hand and then his son disappears. um So that's kind of and the movie. The rest of the movie is them trying to figure out what happened and and get, getting back their son.
0: Yeah, and I just just to kind of like this movie takes place late October. There's a year yep. jump and then it comes back to late October. Yep. Um. Yeah, this movie is is okay. Yeah, I, I it's like I feel like I what I'm finding about myself as as a film viewer here recently is that uh, I'm finding that there's a third like reaction that I watch when I watch a movie. You know, it's no longer I really love this movie. I really loathe this movie. Or, or you know, now it's like I feel neutral on this movie. Didn't love it. Yeah. Didn't hate it. And that's how I, I feel about this it. one.
1: Yeah, I think um, I don't think all movies have this problem that kind of all horror movies in October, the setting of October, have this problem. But I think this movie has the problem of like not distinguishing the difference between a horror movie and a Halloween movie, Um, because although there's some crossover between those two genres, um, they're not the same. Hubie's Halloween is not a horror movie, you know. Um, just to use a recent example, uh, Halloween is definitely, definitely both. But then there's plenty, I would say the majority of horror movies have nothing to do with Halloween. Um, and this movie, throughout the first and maybe even into the second act, they try to get you with jump scares and and things like that. There's really, you know, there's creepy things that do happen. Um, but by the third act, it's very much like they mentioned the like festival of Sawin. Um, and things like that. And, uh, it's very much like, okay, this is kind of taking a turn at where it's now like a Halloween movie. Um, it has a little bit, you know, it actually becomes oddly like more innocent as it goes along, um, which I feel like Halloween movies are kind of that way. They're not necessarily kids movies, but they are, they're more apt to be family movies. Things like that. They
0: have that. They have that lighthearted feel to it. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you like bring up because, like, I think for me, like, the subject of like Halloween movies are like Hocus Pocus is a great example. Yeah, like Nightmare Ghost Before Bumps, Christmas. Uh Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas. There's a bunch of uh, Disney Channel original movies like you know Twitches and under Halloween wraps. Town Under yeah. Wraps Don't Look Under the Bed Like There are, little monsters. Like there are a bunch of these movies that like have just approached the subject of like horror through the lens of a child. And it has like a really innocent, very like, um great. I think QB Halloween is a great example is like, it captures just that spirit of like innocence that just happens to have like scary themed things that happen within it. And this movie is, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, like, the word spooky is literally perfect because it's not scary. It's not overly foreboding or anything like that. But it's spooky in the way that, like, it's creepy, but attractive. You know, it's kind of, it kind of has that feel.
0: Yeah. And this movie, like, I never, I never kind of thought about it in that way, kind of looking at it through the lens of it, like, being a Halloween movie. But it perfectly is because it's a movie that doesn't quite feel like a it feels too innocent to call itself a horror movie right and i think a large portion of that is because every time that this is essentially a ghost story uh that kind of blends into fantasy but when you have the two elements blend together it kind of comes off more childish than it does anything else right especially with the climax of this movie mm-hmm. um but I think that the, like the majority of this movie is like, you know, parents facing their worst nightmare of losing their children. Yeah, kind of the impact that that has on a marriage.
1: Right, and I think you're right. Yeah, because that, at, at, you know, in the second half or toward the beginning of the first first act, um, like the you you see that like they're not divorced, but like the parents are just had a hard time, so they're they're not. They're yeah. separated, basically. Um, but yeah, I think, like, you make a really good point of, like, this movie kind of, like, it has some sort of, some childish sort of aspects to it, especially, you know, as it goes along toward the end, um, you know, and I really, I personally, I think that could have really been to the movie's credit had they leaned into it and committed to this being a Halloween movie. But they really tried to make it, you know, scary, In the first and even into the second act, and it just they just don't balance it well at all by the end.
0: I'm also curious too. Like, uh, you know, I was I was talking to a a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jake, and we got talking about the the book Pet Cemetery. Sure. And Pet Cemetery is um Stephen King and. Mm -hmm. I I really like it. It's not my favorite Stephen King book, but it's a solid uh read nonetheless. Sure. But he said something that like struck me and he's like it hits differently when you're a parent. The story that it goes into. And I'm almost curious if like cuz neither one of us are parents, like if this story like actually hits in the horror. Yeah. Cuz I I could I could definitely see it through the lens of someone like this, like my mom um like, my mom and I got separated when I was, like, little at, like, Walmart. And, like, that fear from that, from like, a child angle is, like, absolutely rippling. Yeah. And I imagine it's the same way for, like, a parent uh, as, as well. And I I don't know. I think maybe it just, it didn't, for, for me, I think those elements of that psychological stuff feels like it's feels very niche for one. Unrelatable for me, but also at the same time, it felt like every time that they tried to like actually commit to the to the horror in this one, it, it didn't stick because they were like, up, oh, up, oh, we got, we got to stay, we got to stay innocent, we got to stay sweet, you know? Yeah, yeah. I
1: really, I think this movie, I, and I, I hear you. I, I think that like that's a very valid point that like neither of us are parents. So this movie loses some of the fearful element that it could have um, and, and when it comes to being an effective horror movie. I think that it could have been cool and they would have probably had to lean into the more spooky kind of Halloween aspects to do this. But I think that like had we have gotten if even one scene or part from the kid's perspective while after he was missing, you know, that could have actually really solidified um had they done it right maybe even solidified it as like a scary thing because everyone has been a child you know um so it would have made that relatable from the perspective of pretty much anybody who would watch it um yeah but he literally just the boy literally just disappears and that's that's pretty much it there's no there's like a you know, there's there's investigation. There's this big file. You know, you see there's this detective that's working on the case and stuff like that. And, um, you know, like the the dad, Mike Nicolas Cage's character uh, has, you know, he has the Charlie Day whiteboard thing going on. Um, and at one point and, uh, you know, like it's it's all there, but it's it's a little hard to take seriously because the boy is just there and he's not. And all you have to rely on is, like, this dad's reaction to really, like, you know, impact you and to leave you with that sense of loss. Um, and it's fine. Nicolas Cage is good at emotional reactions, um, you know, but it wasn't I, – I don't know. It was okay. You know, it was fine. It just didn't – it lacked something that really made you feel, you know, the impact of the situation.
0: Let me ask you this. Do you think that it would have been different, the emotions or, you know, kind of the, you know, because you do like it's it feels like he exists like the the son uh, Charlie exists in the, the first act way too long. Like it seems like that like whole like he was there, then he wasn't like you don't let the audience get attached to it to him. So I think yeah. that, like, having it be, like, a, you know, two to three minute, like, pulled open where, like, we don't know anything about, like, Nicolas Cage, uh you know, we don't know anything about his uh wife, we don't know anything about, you know, their marriage or this or that. Like, it's literally, like, just Cage, you know, opening up and, you know, maybe we fast forward a year and he's, like, in bed and he's, like, maybe an alcoholic, you know? Yeah, because, yeah. Like yeah, yeah, you know, like he's like living with the regret. Like I think that you could have landed that emotion side so much deeper. And I think that's also kind of the problem that I have with this movie is that it doesn't seem like it. It it's unsure if it's like genre and its place.
1: Yeah, because... yeah, I, yeah. I, I hear you. I I think that like. You know, you get a little bit in, like, one scene of the mom being, like, how could you do this? How could you lose our son? And then, like, they're separated and that's it. You know, it's not like, like, I I think of, like, I I think of, like, hereditary, you know, and the, like, just, like, the emotionally charged, just heart-wrenching scenes in that movie between family members, you know, and, like, it really carries that movie emotionally, even in a way that it's non-fearful. You know, and this movie needed that and and had very little of it substantially.
0: Yeah, like it's it's weird, like their dynamic is really weird in this movie because they almost kind of feel estranged when they actually are together. Yeah. And then he like basically is like he's like, I got this theory. He might have been taken by a ghost and she's just like on board for it. Like immediately. Yeah. And I was like, this this is such like a weird, like juxtaposition because like, I I feel like if this had any grounding in reality with that supernatural twist, like you would have her, Kristen would have been out of the picture. Like Like, this would have been a solo Mike adventure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was immediately because I remember like she doesn't take him seriously. She's like, you know, she freaks out on him or whatever. And then she goes home and she's like woken up in the middle of the night and she's looking around her house and seeing shadows. And then she sees a like razor scooter ride itself Mm -hmm. and like fall over. Um, And so at that point, she like goes to Mike's work and she's like, I think you're right. Um, And to your credit is very rushed, you know, but she does have that experience um, and and they both have experiences. They admit to each other of like, I keep seeing our son, but when I go to try to like get to him, he's not there, you know, um, and that kind of thing. And and you could chalk that up to loss and grief and just the effects of that. Or you could be like, Oh, well, that's like, it's a horror movie. So like there's a supernatural element, you know, and they never, they never address it at all. It's just there.
0: I feel like also as like the host of Biscazing, the horror podcast here at Victims and Villains, like I want to talk about how this movie uses horror because that Razor Scooters sequence is like a great example where they they try to do these like really cheap parlor tricks to kind of get this like jump scare out of you. Yeah. And then like it seems like it just kind of gets like milder and milder and milder, as you said, like as the film progresses. Yeah. To where, like, we're ultimately left into this, like. The ending of this movie, like, still puzzles me. I've seen this movie twice now. And the, the scene where, like, he's, like, rescuing Carly back from, like, the, like, the veil area. I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know either. Yeah. Was was kind of I was like, I was like, I, I mean, I guess, like, we were building to this the entire time. But, like, this movie should have just been, like fantasy like not a horror
1: yeah. yeah yeah um yeah and so like there's one point just to kind of connect some dots here so like charlie right before he gets taken right before he disappears i should say um he says dad we have to pay the ghost and that's all he said he'd been seeing these cgi vultures around um
0: and also, uh d- good i just want to know like because traditionally, in horror movies, when people are like seeing the other realm kids, like there's usually some sort of like Ouija board or like witchcraft, and that just seems like a very like minuscule detail that they were just kind of like we're just gonna we're just gonna go over this. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't know if you felt that way, but that's just kind of how I feel.
1: um, I don't know. I felt like they got to things very late in the movie as far as explanations go, but um, I don't know. I didn't feel that it was wholly dissatisfying. It did connect the cold open of the movie with the, the actual plot. Um, Cause the cold open is takes place in like the 1600s. Um, but anyway, like the kid says like, dad, we have to pay the ghost. Um, and then like, so Mike's character goes on this journey of like trying to find out about kids who were taken on Halloween specifically. And he finds out, figures out that like kids who are abducted any other day of the year, the majority of them are found Um, on Halloween, half or fewer of them are found. Um, And, uh, and so that he kind of goes in this thing and he, he like tracks down like a couple of the parents of the kids who were like taken on, on the same day that, that Charlie was and both the kids both the parents mention that the kids say something about a phantom or a a specter or a ghost, you know, and then he sees like, he just arbitrarily walking down the road, sees a vulture, and then he sees like graffiti that says, pay the ghost. And then he walks toward this graffiti and there's like a staircase down into some like abandoned warehouse hold thing and there's a well-adept blind man and some homeless people and like, then he hears this wailing in the rafters and like the guy takes him to a wall that just says, pay the ghost all over it. And then it turns the camera around and you see like a spooky face like over his shoulder for like one second. And it they don't even address it and it doesn't look very good. Um Yeah, and, and it just it's weird. And it does it, it's ineffective in the sense that like it's a clue, I guess. That's the one thing I kind of liked about this movie is it has that sort of mystery aspect that some horror movies some horror movies don't, but some horror movies do, and I really appreciate that when a horror movie has kind of a mystery element. But it, it just feels kind of ham-fisted. He happens to see this thing that says "Pay the Ghost."
0: That's uh, that's that's kind of what I was talking about. Is this feeling like unsure of it. So yeah, fun fact for you about that blind guy. Yeah, he's played by Stephen McHattie, who is the original Night Owl from. The 2009 Watchmen movie.
1: Wow, that's pretty cool.
0: Small world. That's probably
1: the coolest thing about this film.
0: Would you like some more trivia?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So this movie was first announced in 2010. I don't now when it was announced. I I don't know if this film was headed for a theatrical release or if it it was going to be bigger than this direct-to-video release that we got. So uh, when this movie was announced originally in 2010, it was directed by Dennis uh, Eladia's probably mispronounced that name, but he is most famously known for directing the, um, uh, the rape revenge remake of the last house on the left. And I'm almost curious if there is a, a darker version of this movie because most of his films are like, on the darker, riskier side hmm. um, of film storytelling, and I'm almost kind of curious if, like, we would have gotten a like grittier, kind of darker in tone, kind of yeah. kind of film.
1: Yeah, yeah, Th- that could have been interesting. Honestly, like I, I keep saying, like, a commitment in one of the directions that this movie tries to go in would have benefited this would have benefited this movie greatly. Had it been like a mystery, cool. Had it been a Halloween movie, like it ends up being toward the end because he literally has to go into like save some kids from a ghost. Um and there's like spooky specters and like the first decent CGI you see in all the movie. Actually it's probably just makeup, but um and yeah, like or had they committed to like it being horror and I don't know how they would have done that exactly. But either way, like, yeah, the movie just doesn't really commit. And But a darker tone could have been really, really good. Um, and just keeping the story, you know, what it is.
0: Yeah, I think it just it needed to commit one way or the other. Because, like, it gets progressively weaker in any direction you spin it as the film progresses.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, so I think you're right um i would say mostly that it it just progressively changes because it starts and it's evident that like you're watching a horror movie and then in like the second act it basically be, basically becomes a mystery movie and they find out about this symbol and they research this symbol and they find that it's this you know celtic like witchcraft symbol and they find these people who still celebrate like so uh, in you know, on, on the 31st of October and all that stuff. And then by the third act, it's like, you know, child, child's, you know, dad has to go rescue child from, uh, you know, 400 year old, uh, ghost curse, you know, um, So, yeah, I I don't know if I wholeheartedly agree that it just gets worse, but it definitely commits less and less. I honestly like the third act, but I like it kind of in retrospect, like I liked it in the sense that I wished the first and second parts of the movie had been that way.
0: If you or someone you know is listening to this podcast right now and you're struggling with suicide, addiction, self-harm, or depression we encourage you guys to please reach out this is the heartbeat of why we do what we do suicide is currently the 10th leading cause of death in the united states and as of this recording there are 132 suicides that take place each and every day on american soil And when you scale back internationally, there are 800,000 successful suicides. That is one death roughly every 40 seconds. So if you were someone you know is struggling, you guys can go to victimsandvillains.net forward slash hope. That resource is going to be right in the description wherever you guys are currently listening or streaming this. There you'll find resources that include the National Suicide Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. You can also text HELP to 741-741. We also have a plethora of other resources, including churches, getting connected with counselors, LGBT resources like the Trevor Project, and also Veteran Hotline as well. Please, if you hear nothing else in the show understand that you yes you listening to this right now have value and worth we get it suicide depression mental health these are hard topics and the stigma around them doesn't make it any easier but please consider the resources right in the descriptions below wherever you guys are listening because once again you have value and you have worth so please stay with us
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Yeah, I, I really feel like totally I, I really wish this movie would have um done anything. So I yeah. have three more facts for you. You Let's want go. all of them? Yeah. All right. So let me just start out by saying God bless the Internet and people that have Time on their hands that I do not have. Quote: If Annie, who was the um, the witch from the beginning of the movie that kidnaps the the child the chi- blah, blah, children, yep. uh, kidnapped three children per year from Halloween 1680, the first year after she and her children were slain in 1679 to 2015, she would have she uh, would have been 335 years old or this would this tradition would have happened for three hundred thirty-nine years, but she would have captured a grand total of one thousand and five children.
1: That's pretty cool. And honestly, so they show you like when you get into like her I don't know. It's basically like they try to picture it as like old New York. He goes into this warehouse and like crosses this bridge thing. It's like kind of supernatural kind of like they try to make it gently historical. Um and like you see this old house, which is where these this witch and her like children lived, you know, and he sees this expanse of kids. And it's pretty it's pretty big. So, I mean, a thousand that makes sense.
0: Right. Um. So when Mike is hanging the missing child posters, you can clearly see another poster partially hidden that shows only the word witch clearly a hint to the antagonist in this movie, which I really want, like witchcraft movies are like really entertaining if they're done right. And I Mm. really wish that this movie would have leaned a little bit more into that or at least been like Suspiria and kind of like thrown us for like a loop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, yeah, it, leaning in any d- direction more heavily than it did would have been good.
0: That Truly. just seems to be the theme of it this, is. Uh, this episode. It is. The, the,
1: the movie is not like, again, this movie is not good. It's not altogether bad. It just kind of refuses to commit to anything that it's trying to be.
0: Yeah. Um. So my last fact that I have for you, not counting all of Annie's previous victims, the body count is five. Annie... The three children, the psychic medium, and Hannah. That is six. This is what I get for reading word from word from IMDb. So, uh, What
1: are you going to do? We we need some sort of trivia. I'm actually on the wiki right now trying to find some sort of trivia. And there's not really anything that's like...
0: Yeah, and... I said this before we started recording, but that's that's kind of the the low key issue when you have apparently uh,
1: there's a mid scene credits, mid credits scene.
0: I've seen this movie twice and didn't even know that existed. I didn't either. Do you know? Do you know what the uh...
1: in a scene mid credits? Three black vultures appear surrounding Hannah's corpse and she awakens possessed.
0: They're like, we got to set this up for a sequel. Nicolas Cage will be back he will return um yeah that's that's wild to me big rip um yeah i don't i don't really have any anything else to add to this movie this movie's pretty straightforward it's kind of a it's kind of an okay uh movie but i think it oh let me let me throw this out there before i forget yeah, this movie stars. Uh, I'm probably gonna butcher his name, but uh, lyric lyric lyric. I'm just gonna say lyric Bent, who most famous from the Saw movies. Great actor, he does a great job in this movie. Plays the detective.
1: I was gonna say also, the detective.
0: Yeah, also played the detective in the Saw movies, so you know, full circle.
1: Uh, yeah, I will say like the acting in this movie is fine.
0: Yeah, it's not bad. You
1: know, it's really it's really not bad. And like I, we've watched a lot of Nicolas Cage movies and he definitely has some not very good ones for sure. And it's what a lot of people seem to know him for for some reason. It's like those in Con Air. Um, and uh, I don't know what it is, uh, but it's like those in Con Air, I swear. Uh, maybe face off. Um, but like a lot of his movies really struggle in the acting department. It's like he's doing a good job. Or he's doing an okay job with what he's given. And then everybody else is like, mm. but this movie is honestly, the acting is totally fine. Like I have really no complaints. It could be better, but it's not bad by any means.
0: Yeah. I feel like the, when I, when I end up tuning out to a movie, it's, it's for bad acting, but also like during the emotional scenes, like I'm like, all right, uh, I need to feel some connection. I feel like the, the emotions of this movie are really well done. Uh, yeah. like the scene where like Mike goes back and he has to, like tell Kristen that they he lost their son and yeah he like kind of freaks out like that is like really well done um yeah. there's a couple other scenes where like that type of like emotion hits really well but yeah i think it
1: it's not it's not mandy but it like yeah. it's good and it makes sense
0: i think it begs the question is pay the ghost worthy of high praise.
1: No. It's not worthy of low praise. But it's not worthy of high praise.
0: I, I'm going to say it's not. I'm just going to say it's not worthy of, of. I think it's. You know. It's, it's, it's not even. It's really complicated. My feelings with this movie. Because it's. I think I've hated it more. As we've sat around talking. Talking about it. Also, ironically. I think for me. It's not worthy of high praise for sure. I wouldn't even say it's worthy of like mid praise, but maybe, maybe like maybe just above high praise or low praise, like somewhere in that gray area. How about we
1: that. give it a star? You want to give it, you want to give it, you want to do that?
0: We can do that. What yeah. would you give us?
1: I probably give it one and a half. One and a half. Yeah. I liked, I liked the third act well enough I wish the rest of the movie had been the same tone. I think the acting is fine. I think you're right, a lot of the emotional delivery makes sense. Maybe not the writing of like the emotional experience, but the delivery of of, you know, the the actors and actresses makes sense. I think the story is fine. I like the how they brought in like Sawin, which is like one of the very first origins of what, you know, Halloween is and became, you know, but it's not it's not a good movie. Those are literally all the good things I can say about it, right there. That's it. <laughs> uh, One
0: point five sounds sounds fair. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna ask, like, was we really didn't like talk about it? Like, how do you feel about like Nicolas Cage in this movie? Yeah, we a, always we always podcast.
1: You know, this is a Nicolas Cage podcast, Josh, and Nicolas Cage in this movie, um. Is fine. He's adequate. Um, he's adequate. I, I don't think that like, there are some movies that, that we've seen that it's been like, this movie is bad, except Nicholas Cage. And I like, you know, uh, I, I don't feel that way about this movie. I, I don't feel that like any part of this movie is really it's saving grace. Um, and that includes him. I, I think he does an adequate job with what he's given. That's fine.
0: It's like, He doesn't stand out from the other performances in this movie. This definitely isn't like if I'm going to show someone like a Nicolas Cage movie. It's definitely not going to be this one. This one's not even on my radar. But he just kind of like levels and blends in for this movie. I think he just kind of does what the movie needs it to be. Like I think adequate is a perfect word for it. Yeah, it's adequate. Fine. So. All right, I think it's I think it's gonna do it for us on this episode. But uh, the good news is, on our next episode, we're finally gonna be talking about Butcher's Crossing. That's right. That's, that's right.
1: Finally, it's been technically out for a, a like a year, but yeah, that's only it's, inter- it's been out for a year internationally. It's Finally, getting a a domestic release. So,
0: right. I think actually the next two episodes we're probably going to end up doing are both brand new releases because yeah. that comes out of the 20th and then he has Dream Sequence out like two weeks later.
1: Yeah, there's Dream Sequence. Dream, dream Scenario, um, sorry. Dream Scenario, yeah. Uh, pay the go, not Pay the Ghost. This is what we're doing. Um, Sympathy for the Devil is out on Blu-ray and DVD, so... Uh, if we can get a copy of that, we can do that. We're probably gonna have to wait on retirement plan, um, but that's okay.
0: We're so much to say about that movie. What? So I've got so much to say about that movie. Me too. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, I really yeah. wished
0: you still lived in in town so we could watch that together. Same. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, it's it's going to be a good rest of the year. But where can people find you online, sir?
1: Um, yeah, you can find me at Letterbox um, at VH Zest, um, which is what I'm I'm currently going to give Pay the Ghost a one point five. Um, you can find me on YouTube at VH Zest. You can find me, um, uh, on. I guess i think I, I yeah i do have tiktok i barely use it i was using it consistently um vh zest 2 apparently just vh zest was taken um on on tiktok um yeah so that's where you can find me
0: you guys can find me also on letterboxd am at captain nostalgia you guys can check out my other podcast abyss gazing a horror podcast wherever you guys get your podcasts from as well as that's high praise and you guys can check out our parent company victims and villains we are on facebook instagram twitter Twitch, youtube patreon and wherever you guys get your podcasts from so until the butchers come across and keep on a caging